welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Hey there, everybody. I am so delighted and excited to be here with my guest today, Paulette Reese denis Paulette is a passion instigator. Doesn't that sound interesting? And movement motivator. Paulette is a lifestyle and business coach for creatives, also a speaker, dancer, author, and a leader of feminine celebration. In her fourth book, From Soulless Job to Creative Abundance, Find Fulfillment and Prosperity with Your Art, Paulette takes you on a journey to make changes for your creative business dreams. She gives you the tools to rewrite your story and step up into your creative zone of genius. While she travels the globe to teach and speak, she writes from Palm Springs, California. Paulette, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to see you and be here and talk with you and all the things. I know it's going to be so yummy. Now, because this is the Empathic Mastery Show and pretty much everybody who comes on has some connection to being highly sensitive and empathic or a highly sensitive empath, I'd love to hear a little bit about that part of your experience as being a sensitive person and kind of like what it was like before you found like what I maybe like the soulless job part of your life, but even starting there. So let's start at the very beginning. Tell me a little bit about you and being an empath. Wow. Wow. Okay. So where do I start with that one? You know, I've always been super sensitive and in tune or, or out of tune. (laughs) If you want to look at it that way. Um, and I think I started to really notice that in me when I was a massage therapist, because mm-hmm. I was working on bodies and I would be, yes, I would receive their stuff, right? Yes. Like, Wait a minute. What's going on here? What's going on? And, and I was delving into all things spiritual at that time. This is I was living in San Francisco. I was in my early twenties. I was in art school. I was a musician. I was uber creative, super high energy, all over the board in a fabulous way. It was great, but wanting to connect and really understand what this sensitivity was about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I was studying tarot. I was working with um, gemstones. I was working with energy as a, a, a massage therapist, and I started incorporating that into my work and just loving this connection, loving this deeper connection with myself, but also with spirit, right? Mm-hmm, with, mm-hmm. With source. Um, and bringing that into my work and bringing that into my being, into my writing, into all the things that I was doing, uh, creating magic. And I've always been a dancer, always, like since I was a little girl. Um, so dance became a more prolific part of my life at that point. Uh, and I was doing a, a, something that is now called tribal belly dance. This was something brand new back at this time in the eighties, which is also something I helped create and have 
made built my empire <laughs> around tribal belly dance since then. But as in all kinds of movement, I'm only going to relate this to the tribal belly dance because that's what I do. But in all kinds of movement, there is an inner soul connection. There is a sensitivity to changing and shifting your energy when you move, right? You, you change your state when you move. I don't care if you're getting up off the couch or you're running around the block or you're dancing in a performance or whatever, you're changing your state, you're changing your energy. And when I was doing this, I realized there was a super deeper connection with stories of ancient dancers and uh, I don't even know how to say this, just dances of the ages, dances from uh, tribes long ago gone. And I was even connecting with that source. And I was getting downloads of that, where I created the style that I do now. So I was really in tune with all of that and loving it, not even understanding all of it then. I was just like, what's happening? Mm -hmm, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Where is this coming from? What am I feeling? Who's talking to me? You know, I would get up in the morning and like, oh, look at this thing that just came to me <laughs> while I was sleeping. I mean, so there's all levels of that sensitivity and that connection and that emp empathic awareness. Well, and you speak about, I want to go back to talking about being a massage therapist and picking up everything because mm -hmm. interestingly, this is the literally the second time I've had this conversation in the last two and a half hours. So I think there's something about this because, you know, I think that a lot of people, and especially people who are highly sensitive and empathic, really want to do something to make a difference in the world, really want to do something that's going to help other people because we are so sensitive to other people's pain. We want to relieve people's pain. Uh -huh. yes. But then there's this like really kind of shocking discovery that you put your hands on somebody and you get a lot more than you bargained for. <laughs> and, and, you know, that experience, I really appreciate you mentioning that because I don't like, I know people kind of know about it, but in a way it's sort of like, oh yeah, there's this thing that as sensitive people, when we touch somebody, we get a lot of information. Uh -huh. So I just really loved that you started there with talking about that experience. And it sounds like in some ways, that experience or that process kind of led you more into movement. And I love, love, love how you were saying it's like, just like change your, you know, like, like movement will change your state movement, movement transforms your experience. Like all, you know, just even getting up off the couch is going to make a difference for you. So and all and when you were talking about like just this feeling of connected to the ancestors, connected to the ancient dancers, and just this this awareness, like how deeply ingrained in our DNA that information yes. is. Right. Yeah. And and in that respect, talking about um being a woman and tribal belly dance, which is you know, belly, womb, hip, pelvic based. And if you look at all the different cultures of the world, every woman, there's always, there's a dance in every culture that's pelvic centered. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Because we are, we're women and this is our power and this is where we're fertile and we birth 
you know, whether we birth babies or we birth creative ideas and we have that power right there. And so it's reclaiming our power by doing this kind of dance. Yeah. Well, and I'm wondering about, it feels to me like we're, we, you know, we've got kind of like these two somatic body centered experiences where we've got the done for you experience as a massage therapist, where you are picking up other people's stuff mm-hmm. versus the empowered experience of tribal belly dancing, which sounds like a very, very different, different mm-hmm. process. And I'm just wondering, like, how did the movement and the belly dance impact the way that you, your relationship to being a massage therapist? And did you remain a massage therapist? Like, was like, what happened there? (laughs) Well, no, actually I didn't because I moved out of California. I moved to Oregon. So I did that for a couple of years while I was dancing and creating art and playing music and studying the spiritual realm of, you know, magics, studying a lot of different magic. Um, And then I moved to Oregon and I would have had to recertify to be a massage therapist. So I didn't want to do that. So I wanted to move forward into something else. And I was doing more art. So I actually started to leave more of my spiritual leanings kind of behind, even though I was always connected, but I changed my ideas of my profession at that point. That makes sense. But it's interesting because I am now coming back to all of that, Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, diving back into my shamanic studies and working with the medicine wheel and bringing more magic and healing into my practice. Um, Well, and so I'm imagining, you know, you moved, so you, you let go of the massage therapy practice, partially, probably just energetically, it was the right thing to do. And partially just logistically, you didn't want to have to jump through the hoops to become a a licensed massage therapist in another state. But I, but if I understand correctly, you stayed with your creativity, you stayed with the belly dancing, you stayed with that. And yet it's, so I'm wondering if it was almost like, you, the spiritual process became an embodied experience Mm -hmm. as Mm -hmm. opposed to the kind of more cerebral, like theory, like it was, it was like you were living the spiritual experience. It was absolutely. Absolutely. And again, you know, even when that started, I didn't understand it. I just knew there was deeper meaning. And I, you know, I really went into it. I went into dances, ritual, I went into ancient echoes, I, I actually was teaching with um, the queen of mythology and we were incorporating stories into the dance and just definitely embodying that. So that kind of energy and then allowing myself to fall into that space as I danced became just another way to create magic, another way to transform energy, but another way to raise energy and create magic. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, and you and I, shortly before we jumped on, you know, jumped onto the recording, we were talking about the aspect of movement and dance in relation to being an empath and sort of that the process of discerning what's mine, how do I take up space? Mm -hmm. And I'm really like, it sounds to me like I'm hearing that for you, there was a lot of organic 
just kind of guided and led, like your body led you to yes. where, where it was. I'm wondering if you can speak more to just the difference between, you know, that experience of being highly sensitive, empathic, putting your hands on somebody and absorbing all their energy, as opposed to that sort of, it sounds like extreme, like exquisite experience of, of this sort of the, the wisdom of your body and the wisdom of your ancestors coming through your body with this movement. Uh, it was, it was an incredible time. And the other thing that I could also mention is that as I shifted and then I became a teacher um, of the belly dance and grew my classes. I mean, I had 60 people in my classes. I was teaching 20 classes a week mm. and I, I could meet you and I, you know, I picked up everything I mm. knew before you knew mm -hmm. what you, what you were going to do, you know? So there is that quality. And I don't know if it was because I was in tune with their bodies or so in tune with my body and helping them move their energy. But there were things as like, oh, yeah, I know you. <laughs> and they're like, what? And I'm like, oh, yeah, let me tell you. <laughs> and so really, I did. I just allowed that flow. I, I loved it. I, I was in tune with it. I wrote about it. I moved with it. I don't know if that answered your question. I, in, in some ways, it, it actually raises more questions <laughs> <laughs> because I'm really hearing, you know, even within the context of dancing, there was still the aspect of being, you know, of, of being a sensitive, of being, you know, heart and sort of tele telepathically, empathically linked to your students and knowing them, anticipating things with them and everything. I guess what I'm wondering is, did the dance create a sense of space? Did it create a space? Because you spoke about dance being able to be a way that we take up space. Right. And I'm wondering if, if dance allowed a certain amount of insulation between you, like, like what would the difference be between, or what did you experience as the difference between having your hands on somebody doing like a massage energy work with them versus being the teacher of a belly dancing student and you knew them, but were you experiencing the same level of like TMI? Um, no, I think I was able to transfer that to more healing work. So as a massage therapist, I was helping heal their bodies, right? As a dance teacher, I was touching their bodies because I was helping them with their posture or their hip movement or whatever. And this dance is a super healing dance form. And so in a way, I was doing the same kind of work, but they were moving, not just me. Right, right. They were invested in the work. Yeah. I think about, I have a, one of the very first conversations I had with uh, a friend who was a massage therapist. I mean, we're talking a conversation that happened over 30 years ago where she was talking about, she was working at spas at the time. And she was commenting about just the way that there were so many people who would just like show up and sort of plunk their body on the table, like a piece of meat and expect her to just fix things for them. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, at versus 
the active involvement in belly dance where your dance students are engaged in their own body in a way that a lot of times somebody who's lying on a massage table is not engaged in their body. Yeah. And that's why, you know, I say that I'm a movement motivator, you know, and leader of feminine celebration, because that's what this is. And so my students were then learning how to heal themselves with my guidance and step into their own power. Look at their bodies. I mean, we danced in front of a mirror. You have to look at your body. Yes. And you have to be present. So we're talking moving meditation. We're talking about connecting with your inner self, you know, with this movement. And we are here to take up space. That's what we were saying before is helping these women stand in their power and take up space and not shy back and not fall into the corner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it just became this whole healing modality besides mm. this creative thing of beauty and passion. <laughs> and we did it in a circle. It wasn't a solo. So this was group interaction. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So we're raising energy. We're shifting. We're transforming. Oh, I'm just this sounds so delicious. This just sounds so delicious. And um, I'm thinking about, and I've never, I I haven't ever thought about this in this way before, but I'm really thinking about the way that movement really allows, like the, the act of engaging and moving really allows the energy to flow. And that just the, the nature of what you guys were doing, it's like the nature of the movement allows ener- like energy does not stay stuck mm-hmm. when we are moving. Mm-hmm. And again, in a group atmosphere, you're also helping each other raise that energy, support each other. Right, right. See each other. Yes. Don't we all want to be seen? We all want to be seen. Even if you want to hide in the corner, you still really want to be seen. Well, and I think it's like, we want to be beheld. We want to be witnessed. We want to be acknowledged and validated. Yeah. And yet there's something so beautiful also about the difference between, you know, kind of like a circle versus a pyramid in the sense that our patriarchal culture is so much about like, there's only so many pieces of pie. And, you know, and like in order for one person to ascend another, I mean, literally, if you think about like what monarchy is, it's like somebody literally has to die in order for somebody else to (laughs) ascend to the throne. And whereas this concept of like the circle of women who are all coming together, each one of them has a space in that circle is holding that space, but simultaneously there's this sense of like the equality amongst everybody there. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, all ages, all sizes, all backgrounds, all cultures, uh, when you're in that space and you're so present, it's like nothing else matters. We are here to do this thing together in this case, dance, and you're all you're all important and we need each one of you to complete the circle. So one thing that is actually coming to my mind is body image and mm-hmm. eating disorders and, you know, a sexual trauma 
like that, as you were talking about, like kind of like this is a dance, this is about movement that is really centered in the like the first, second, probably third chakra, but especially like it's all in the pelvic girdle. It's all in that that womb energy. And I know that with the culture we live in, that I don't know a woman who doesn't have something around, you know, sexuality, body image, safety, worthiness, all of this. As a teacher, I mean, did you find that the movement unto itself addressed and cleared things? Or did you find that sometimes things were brought up through the movement or through the experience? Like, how did you navigate some of the shadow or the, the hard stuff? I think the, the most important part in that whole uh, question is creating sacred space mm-hmm. for them to come into. And my space was gorgeous. It was, you know, full of uh, beautiful color and incense and beautiful clothing, dance wear and great music. And they knew that when they came in that door, they could shut the door. Nothing else happened. That's what I mean. When you're in that space, nothing else matters. Now, yes, of course, it can be very healing. And for sexual abuse um, victims, of course, it can be very healing. And yes, it can bring up stuff. And I mean, it can bring up a lot of things. Body image. Oh, I mean, over and over and over again. Women who didn't want to look at themselves in the mirror. Right. Or have not looked at themselves in the mirror. Or wear a little short top and a low cut skirt and have their belly show. Yes. You didn't have to do that, you know. People choose whatever they want to do, but they would choose to go that route the more they worked with me over the years and years and years and years. I mean, come on, I've got women who've danced with me for 25 years. And it's gorgeous, gorgeous, you know, to see that transformation, that energy. You know, there's one woman who she would she brought her daughter to class, and she was a heavier woman, fabulous woman. But she was like, oh, no, I can't do that. I can't. This body's not going to work. It's not going to move. And she finally started coming to class and started looking at herself and, I mean, crying. There's lots of tears. Yeah. There's also lots of laughter. Right. Uh, And she just blossomed into this woman who was like wearing this beautiful jewelry and you know, you, you don't have to wear the costumes. You don't have to put on the makeup or the jewelry or whatever. But she was just like, I am a fucking goddess. Mm-hmm. And that's what every woman experiences. So there's that kind of energy. And but me as the teacher had to have that space where that could happen. Yes. And I really hear that there is that you as a facilitator, as a teacher, we're incredibly mindful of creating sacred space, but also creating a safe container. Yes. And I get, I'd love to hear from the standpoint of, you know, leader, facilitator, what did you know needed to happen? Like, were there boundaries that needed to be installed? Like, what were the things that you kind of, was it entirely instinctive or like, how did you create sacred space? 
Oh, gosh. Well, I think some of it was very instinctive. And some of it came from the background that I had with feeling sensitive, Mm -hmm. right? To paying attention and being present and creating magic, creating that sacred container, you know, um, instinctively, intuitively, magically with tools, with mindset. And it's just, I know how to work with people and how to listen and how to create change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm also imagining that one of the things that made this space work so well too, was the singular focus the the, you know, that there was, you guys really were like, you were like in this track and moving in this very particular, like you were all focused on the same thing. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's not like just a random party where everybody's talking or even like a self-help group where, where you can kind of have a lot of different stuff coming in. Right. And I wouldn't allow that. There you are the boundary. So what did you allow and what did, what, but actually what were your like, no, this is not happening here. This oh, is, you know, little yeah. things. I mean, really, <laughs> I, when I teach my teachers how to teach, you know, mm-hmm. these are, we talk about like no chewing gum and <laughs> dance class and you no talking until we talk, you know, I will ask questions and I will want to know how you're feeling, but I get two little chatty women you know, laughing in the middle of dance class. And I'm like, okay, you guys go to different parts of the room. Mm-hmm, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. and it, but it didn't happen very often because people knew that, that whether instinctively or it was something I said, they knew that they were there for that focus. Yeah. And I'd like, we start with breathing. We start in the circle. You know, we bring everybody together. We're all here for this reason. You can talk afterwards, you know? And it, I mean, it wasn't strict. It wasn't like I had a ballet pointer and I was, you know, banging my cane at everybody. It was fun. It had to be fun. Because why do it if it wasn't fun? Why do it if it wasn't fun? That's philosophy of life right there. That is. <laughs> right there. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, not everybody is meant to be a teacher and not everybody could have handled that stuff. Right, right. It comes from all that experience that I had working with people one-on-one, intuitively, you know, hands-on and, and, you know, being empathic and feeling these things uh, and then creating boundaries. And creating boundaries. Well, and I, it sounds to me like there was a, like almost a very instinctual, like you kind of just knew. And I'm wondering in some ways if this also had to do with the fact that that this lineage and this wisdom that was coming from the ancients also has a very strong sense of like, when I've accessed that ancient wisdom, I also access a sense of ancient propriety, that there is a quality of reverence and respect and behavior, like oh, decorum that you one has within sacred ceremony that it just is almost like you put on the mantle and you assume this, this, like you step into the power and there's a quality to it that there's, it's for lack of a better word, there's almost a severity to it. Like there's this firmness to it. 
<laughs> and it really sounds like that was something that you just like you channeled it, like it came yeah. through, you instinctively knew it. And your students entered into this space knowing that they were not like they had just they they had left the 20th century and they were in a place between the worlds to do this work. And I, I can remember they would laugh at me sometimes when I would get upset and, you know, I'd be like pulling my glasses down and they're like, oh, there's Paulette's eyes. Mm -hmm. Everybody stop. Listen to her. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, definitely. Definitely that. Um, and oh, the other thing I was going to mention, too, in that I think so many women have a hard time connecting with their ability for improvisation. Mm -hmm. Okay for creating change in the moment or maybe not even in the moment, but it's like, okay, this isn't working. What do I need to do? And I was like, bam, okay, that's not happening. Let's do this, you know, and totally change the energy or whatever, pick it up something, you know, somebody fell or was crying or you've got to let's shift this. And so it's the ability to tap into that intuitive knowledge and trust to change the energy when you're leading a group of people, right? Yes. Yes. And to be able to think on your feet for sure, because you never know what's going to happen. Right. <laughs> it's problem solving at its finest. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, and it's interesting because it sounds like, I mean, it sounds to me like you are one of those people who really landed where you were supposed to be like that. There was a certain bit of like, you were in flow and in alignment with what you were supposed to be doing. And as a result, many things came really naturally for you that you didn't necessarily have to learn because you just instinctively knew it. And as the presenter, as the teacher, as the facilitator of the group, the high priestess, as it were, it sounds like you just that that instinctive ability to pivot, that ability to be, to improv, to recognize like, oh, this is not working. The energy needs to shift. Let's just shift it. That you had that ability. And yet you were saying you noticed that this was not something that a number of the women that you worked with, at least initially, had. Mm -hmm. Well, I think so many people are afraid of change. Yes. They want to be in their comfort zone. They want to stay on the couch. Yep. And I, like I said, I embrace it. I love change. I'm, I'm a chameleon. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and not that you have to be like that, but life is for living and life is for experiences um, and connections of all kinds you know, connections with the earth, connections with people, connections with spirit, uh, and to allow yourself to have those experiences. Right, right. Why would you not want that? <laughs> Trauma? <laughs> <laughs> well, and then you create a new story. Right, right. But see, that's what I mean. So I can create change. Yeah. Because you have to sometimes, or you can live in trauma and drama. Yeah. You can choose that. It's your choice. It is your choice. Well, and what I love, I'm really struck by in some ways, like how movement 
And I love how your tag, you know, movement, momentum, and magic, mm-hmm. like how movement in many ways is like the seed or the impetus that then promotes the momentum and then generates the magic. Absolutely. And, and that I'm really struck by how in a way it's almost as if dance unto itself and movement, like, but especially this tribal belly dance, this primal, ancestral, like embodied, divine, feminine, instinctive, intuitive, like we're not talking about Balanchine, like we're not, you know, (laughs) we're, but, but like the way that the movement, like the movement itself, it really sounds like it becomes the vehicle for so much more. It becomes the transformational tool that really allows people to move through it. And, you know, I was, I, I just think about one of the things that so often gets us stuck is thinking that we can think our way out of our trauma, thinking that we can Um, cognitively change things. I was actually, um, reading a book for to review that was talking about rewiring your brain from anxiety. And what was really sad to me about the book was that it was lacking any real, like it talked, it did like it did lip service to yoga, but it was and a little bit about breathe conscious breathing, but it, it, there was so much cognitive stuff in it about just think differently, do differently, but it's like, just thinking doesn't do it. No, you got to embody it. You got to embody it. And the nature of what you were doing, it's like you were starting with the embodiment and then everything flows from the embodiment. So think about it this way. So what does a dog do when it goes into some sort of, you know, barking at another dog or, you know, it shakes. It shakes. Yeah, it will shake it up. Or if you want to see a dog immediately try to shake something off, just give your dog a hug. And then watch 30 seconds later, they will shake it all off. Like, yeah. And then they're like, everything's fine. Everything's fine. And I mean, I even do, I have done a lot of body therapy where there's shaking and fall. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. Uh, And that's, that's it. We've become such a stagnant society, especially sitting in front of computers all day, which I Mm -hmm. love the fact that we can. Yes. But People are afraid to move, and especially as they get older, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They they're going to hurt themselves, or or they're not used to doing anything, or oh, I can't do that. Because I and I teach yoga in a, a, a community of predominantly older people, and you got to move. You want to stay healthy and strong in your body, or do you want to be crippled by the time you're eighty? Yeah. I mean, and if that's a fact, you know, there's nothing spiritual woo-woo about that is you got to move that body. (laughs) Right. Um, But I mean, I just take it to that next level of the interconnection. And yes, you got to get out of your mind. Right. So thoughts become words, become things. And I teach journaling so we can get those words out of the body onto the page to become something different movement. And that's another form of movement. You know, it doesn't have to be dance. It doesn't have to be yoga. Like I said, you could run around the block. Right. Right. I get very passionate about this. (laughs) Understandably. (laughs) 
Well, and, you know, you were speaking about just like the reticence to move and the irony of it is that we're so, in some ways, we're sort of so bass backwards in our culture that we're afraid to move because we're afraid we're going to hurt our body when the reality is if we don't move, if we don't move, we're going to hurt our body. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But there's pleasure in movement. If you Mm -hmm. allow yourself to find the pleasure. Yes, yes, yes. There's creativity. There's release. I mean, it's, you can have the beautiful healing, emotional release by moving. You can change your mindset. You can change your state. And that's so good. And it just feels so good. And there's another thing is like our society doesn't allow ourselves to have pleasure. Oh, <laughs> or to, yeah, I mean, we don't allow ourselves to have pleasure, especially as women, we demonize pleasure. We, we turn it into, we just, we turn it. And then like, I mean, the whole relationship between like food and pleasure and desire and weight and body image and all of it. And just all of the ways that we imprison ourselves and we deny ourselves and deprive ourselves. It's so pervasive. Yeah. Yeah. And you look at, you look at other cultures or more ancient cultures or more tribal cultures and they grow up dancing. Yeah. They don't grow up, you know, they didn't grow up with the television. They grew up dancing around the fire pit. Right. As a little kid growing up, you know? Um, so, you know, where has our society moved from? I mean, these are, we can open this up to 8,000 different strains of conversation here, but <laughs> it's so good. And so we just, uh, you know, there is pleasure in movement. There's pleasure in being connected with your body. Yeah. Why would you not want to feel good in your body? Why would you not want to connect with your inner self, you know, through sitting meditation or movie meditation? You know, I do dances rituals, so I do movie meditations. And so it's just being connected with you know, with God or source or spirit or your higher self, wherever your belief system is and any of that and enjoy your body and step into your beauty and step into your power and love who you are. And ultimately we all just want to feel good. Right. Right. Well, and from what you were describing in terms of the experience of like, sometimes people are crying. Sometimes people are laughing. Sometimes people show up and they can't look at themselves in the mirror, that this is not a light switch that just gets flicked on where suddenly you go from depriving yourself of pleasure to being completely ecstatic (laughs) that it seems to me that this is a journey, that this is an incremental process. And it also really sounds to me like a big part of it is just making the choice to say yes to movement and to say yes to in being embodied. Yeah. Saying yes to participating in your life. Mm, yes to participating in your life. Showing up. Right. And at what point, I mean, just thinking about our culture and aging and the fear of movement and all of these things, like at what point do we stop? Like I think about my own childhood experience. I was, I was constantly dancing as a child. I was always, you know, there was classical music on, you know, on the stereo. And I was like, my mom made me like tutus and things. So I constantly had like skirts and costumes and I would barefoot ballet in the living room all the time. And I instinctively, intuitively, and I've seen this with 
all of my nephews and with so many little kids too, we know how to dance when we're little. And yet then it's like, I think I went to take ballet classes or dance classes and they were so restrictive and so rigid and so controlling. And so like, you're doing it the wrong way that some of that joy started to get taken out of it. And, but I think about all of the times in my life where I have been involved in dance and how incredibly powerful it is. And, and, and for me, some of the best writing comes after movement. Like some of the best, you know, instead of it being, I'm going to think about something and journal on it, and then I'll go move. If I move first and I let the information process through my body, very often what comes out of the right, the, the writing is so much richer on that other side. Yeah. You know, I get some of my best inspirations when I'm out running. Yeah. I have to stop, you know, I have to stop and like take a note on my phone. So I won't mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Cause and you're just opening yourself up to receive. Right. Mm. I'm just sitting in the richness of this conversation. Well, and you know, what you said earlier is movement. So my tagline for my coaching practice is uh, movement, momentum, and magic. Yeah. Because it starts with movement, creates that momentum. So let's say you desire something. Yeah. Dance with it. You know, embody it. Create that energy and the excitement around it so that the momentum builds toward it. And then you create magic with it. You create everyday magic because today is the best day of your life. Could you give me an example of how, of like a really kind of like that in, you know, in operation in your own life, like something that you were like, this is a heart's desire. I want to manifest this. You know, I honestly, I do it every day. Yeah, I really do. I mean, I, this is, this is how I live and this is how I help my clients. I do. I run every morning. I mean, almost seven days a week. I have to get outside. I have to get out in nature. I have to connect. And it's one of the first things I do in the morning is move my body. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's so many different practices you can do, but for instance, maybe I'm going to do a power walk. So I start with gratitude. I'm walking and I'm, what am I grateful for today? Gratitude is another course, huge, you know, movement. Amazing, amazingly powerful tool. Yeah. Yeah. And then I might say, okay, today I want to do this. Maybe I have three meetings today and I want them to be successful. And I want them, you know, I want a new client or whatever. Say I want a new client or I'm going to talk to this person today and it's going to be a great conversation. I'm setting myself up for success. And I'm moving with it. And then I see it done. So I ask for it. And then I see it done as if it's already happened. So I'm hearing. So the day starts with, you know, getting up and moving your body, getting outside into nature, grounding and connecting to something greater than yourself and tapping into the gratitude, tapping into that sense of deep appreciation. And then from that sense of deep appreciation comes the 
request, the ask, the what do I desire today? And then from that, dancing with, moving with, engaging in your body as you kind of like let it kind of land in you, then coming to the place of being able to visualize it, feel it, actually probably more so feel it as complete, feel it as realized, feel it as like it is here now. And allow it. And allow it. Let's talk about allow it. Talk to me more about that. Well, do you see it and then believe it? Or do you believe it and then you see it? Mm. Do you see it and then believe it? Like you have to see it in order to believe it. Or do you believe it and then see it? Mm -hmm. Wow. That's that's manifestation. That is manifestation. That's like my dad wouldn't believe in any of this stuff. If I can't see it, I don't believe it. Doesn't exist. Yep. Right. I mean, he was, no, I'll use him as an example. I love you, dad, but, uh, yeah. or if you believe you can do this or you can have this, you have to believe it. Yeah. Cause it's not going to happen if you don't believe it. Right. Right. It's a law of right. 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 Well, and I think about my own experience with affirmations when I was younger and I picked up, you know, Dynamic Laws of Prosperity by Catherine Ponder was one of the very first prosperity books I was working with. And she has a lot of amazing affirmations. And I was just like, I had them written on my mirrors. I had them on like I had sticky notes on my on my drive on my Uh dashboard. And I was just like constantly saying these affirmations, but I, I didn't believe them because the difference or the gap between my reality and what these affirmations were stating was like, there was like, there was just, there was like a continent or there was an ocean between my reality and these affirmations. And many, many, many years later, I came to understand what a difference there is when you can make a statement that is simply true. Mm -hmm. I attract spectacularly amazing students and clients and people into my and colleagues in my life. That's just true now. Whereas at one point, if I was saying that it was not necessarily true, it was aspirational, but there was still that kind of wavering. And so I know in my own experience, what it is like to be completely embodied in knowing something versus being more in the wishful but doubtful stage or aspirate and aspirational sure. stage with it. Yeah. yeah. I mean then you have to take steps. Your steps. Right. I mean sometimes you can't jump over the ocean. Sometimes you mm-hmm. gotta cross the stream first. Yes. Know? And so you take steps to believing those things, to learning how to ask for them. Okay. So what what's going to simplify that for you? What do you believe? How can we change your mindset? Can you shake it off? (laughs) Can you shake it off? So it's working, it's working in steps. But you know, that's just one one way that I work with myself every day. Mm -hmm. And I don't do that every day. I run every day and I might think about my day. Um, but I think having a really strong gratitude practice is is you know huge because that's how you know what you have. That's when you know you really do have a good life because we well, don't pay attention sometimes. We don't acknowledge, don't acknowledge right. the little things. Right, right, right. I have water right now. Yes. Right? 
I'm yes. really happy to have a sip of water. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and I was having a conversation with one of my mentors, um, Joanna Hunter, who had been, you know, has I've done an episode with. And one of the things that Joanna was talking about around gratitude is the difference between like these sort of artificial by rote gratitude lists where you're just kind of like doing this and I'm grateful for electricity and I'm grateful that (laughs) I'm grateful for email and I'm grateful for this where, but where, what we're trying, we're like, sort of, it's like, we're doing it like a homework assignment where we're just like, you know, we're not necessarily feeling the gratitude. And one of the things that she talks about is just like tune into one thing that you are actually grateful for. Let yourself become completely verklempt with your gratitude for the thing. Mm-hmm. Let yourself feel that gratitude welling up in your whole body. That is more powerful than coming up with a list of 20 things that you're grateful for that are all up in your head. So, and that makes sense too. I can see going back to that list of 20, uh, and I've done this with my clients before, is, is do make a list. Yeah. Now, make, now make another list. Because that is also a practice. You got to learn how to step into that gratitude and how to claim it and how to say it. So it's like, okay, I'm grateful for my house. I'm grateful for my food. Yes, you start with all the things like that. You know, I'm grateful for my husband. I'm grateful for the food on my plate. Well, I really am grateful for all that stuff. Right. The more you practice, the more you start to notice and the deeper you can get into that gratitude. Yes. So it really is a practice. It is an absolute practice. And I know for myself that when I am in a state, when I, you know, my panties are in a wad, I will return back to the gratitude alphabet practice and just start working the alphabet. And I really like starting with I'm gratitude for A and going through everything. It's, it's comes out of I, I, the, where I originally encountered it was within, you know, the halls of 12 step meetings. And that it's a practice that a lot of, that is like, it's like when somebody's in a crappy mood, it's like, start focusing on turn to the gratitude alphabet and work it. it. And there were times where like, if I was in a particularly bad mood, like I might've had to go through three rounds of the alphabet before I started to have a shift. And it was definitely like academic, like it was definitely like, this is cognitive, not embodied, but eventually it's like, it's like misting the hard surface of the earth. Eventually it does kind of start to seep in and it gets to be that thing where it's like, you really are grateful for that water. You really are grateful for your home, for all of these things. Yeah. It is a practice and you're allowing yourself to be in it. Yeah. Not just to do it, to be in it. To be in it. Embody it. Embody it. <laughs> this seems to be a theme, Paulette. Yeah. Embody I'm it. <laughs> Embody it. Oh my gosh. Paulette, I cannot believe how fast this conversation has gone by. We're like hitting the top of the hour. <laughs> like, well, I know like, we could talk forever. I know we could talk forever. I know we could talk forever. So there's a couple of things I'd love to ask you. First off, if there was a message that you had for your younger, maybe a little bit more clueless self, mm. what would the one who was struggling, the one who was like really overcome by being an empath, what would you tell her? What does she need to hear? 
to not be afraid to listen to yourself and ask yourself what you need. To not be afraid to listen to yourself and to ask yourself what you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is there anything in terms of shift that she would have needed to be able to do that? Well, the thing is, I did do it. So what, what propelled me? Curiosity, uh, desire for change, desire to not stay stuck, to not be afraid. Mm. not shut off, but learn how to take better care of myself. Because when you do pick up too much other people's stuff, you, you want to just shut down, right? Right, right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, through the hurt, the pain, you know, some of the experiences that I've had, it's just like, okay, that's not going to stop me. I have to work over, around this. I have to find a way to m- move through this and change. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not do this same thing over and over Mm. and and i'm sort of imagining like i'm just hearing or reading between the lines here and imagining this is an entire story like this is a whole other (laughs) hour-long conversation about (laughs) the fears the things that you were overcoming the you know the the obstacles the hurdles but also like i just really hear i just hear this motivation like this enthusiasm this fire in your soul that, that it's like, despite even at the worst of the worst, that there was the part of you that like you, the resilience within you that just absolutely refused to stop. And absolutely. I wonder in some ways, because I do think time and space in many ways is just an illusion. And the idea that, you know, like, what happened then is no not connected to like that somehow the past is not connected to the future. And I'm wondering if in some ways, like who you are today and the embodied dance practice that has been guiding you and leading you for so long and the ancestors that have led your body and taught you, I really wonder if some way, if, if that magic was rippling back from the get-go and has always been the fuel and the momentum that has that that gave you that spark. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Always feeling different, always being different. Yeah. Growing up being different or outcast or, you know, wherever that is. And it's like, you know, F you. Mm-hmm. This is what I want to do and I'm going. I'm doing it. And I did. And I mm-hmm. have. And mm-hmm. I continue. And yes, there were times when I ran away. It was too much, too many people in my space, whatever. I had to run away, shut down, and create change, rewrite my story, find a way to heal and, you know, not be overcome by that kind of energy or, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that there is a way that you know, when we give ourselves permission to access our creativity, when we claim that identity as artist, as dancer, as writer, as, as like, but when we claim the creativity, I think it does bring us a sense of adventure, a sense of wonder, but also a sense of courage Mm -hmm. because, and, and a willingness to be like, you know what, I'm going to let that urge, I'm going to let that spark guide me and lead me. And I can just feel how much your life has been guided and led by your creative process. Always. Yeah. Always. Because that's the most important part of me and how I live. Totally. So is there anything else 
before I ask you how people can get in touch with you, <laughs> is there anything else that feels really important that we have not said? Oh, man. <laughs> oh, we could talk for a long time. We um, really could. You know, just what we've said, embody your desires. Listen to your body. Bring it down from your brain into your gut, into your belly, into your creative you know, zone and allow it to flow. Yeah. Well, and I just heard in my head to also add, you know, as somebody who had a lot of imposition, I mean, I was horrible at sports as a child. I got a lot of like, you're doing it wrong. Mm. And even within dance classes, getting you're doing it wrong. And I just really love, you know, something that some people have said to me that has brought me such incredible relief is there's no wrong way to do it. And I'm really taking away, like my biggest takeaway from this conversation is like, move your body, let the soft animal of your flesh love what it loves. Yeah. Move your body, let yourself be guided by that desire, by that pleasure, but move, just start moving. Well, and, you know, just really quickly, just a really short little story. But when I was 12, I wanted to go to dance high school. So I was, I was doing ballet and jazz and modern and I went and I have to audition and they said, no, you don't have the body for a dancer. You're never going to make it. Yeah. Like we'll see about that. Right. Right. You're not stopping me. So that's what I mean. You know, don't let that stop you. And don't let it stop you. It's a shame. It's a shame when, when, when kids are stopped, you're doing it wrong. Well, and the whole body thing. I mean, I remember in, I was, I was in junior high school. So sometime I, you know, I, there was this girl that I knew and she had spent her entire childhood training to be a ballerina. She loved dancing and she was built like I am, like she was five foot one, you know, if that, and had big, like, when I was a child, like big, like polkies, which is the Yiddish word for drumsticks, like she had big thighs and she was built. She was a sturdy, short girl. Uh-huh. And she got to a point where she started to, as she got to a certain age, the joy of dancing was starting to get overcast by this idea of you don't have the right kind of body uh-huh. to be a dancer. and. It's so gross. It's just so gross. How many of us were told we don't have the right body to be a dancer? It's like, excuse me, if you have a body, you're a dancer. Like, if you, you know, what is it? If you can talk, you can sing. If you can walk, you can dance. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. And it's just sad. I'm so glad that you did not, it did not stop you. And I also imagine in some ways, if you had been accepted into that school, Oh my God, it would have probably been awful. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you would have ended up in that rigid, follow the rules, like not at, whereas you ended up, fall, like spirit guide led you to exactly where you were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Mm. Paulette, this conversation has been so rich. Oh, I love talking with you. <laughs> oh, I love talking with you too. So <laughs> yummy, so yummy. Oh, so final question. How can they get in touch with you? 
<laughs> um, well, you can go to my website, which is www.pauletreesdennis.com. And um, you can sign up for my mailing list. You can join my journaling class I have every week. You can have a free discovery call with me if you're interested in doing some coaching. Mm. I love working with creative women who are on the verge of becoming more. Oh, creative women who are on the verge of becoming more. So if you are a creative woman who's on the verge of becoming more, reach out to Paulette because, I mean, I'm motivated to like, I've got a little bit of time between now and the next thing. And it's like, Lilu and I are going to go out for a walk. <laughs> <laughs> and go be in nature and just yes. move our bodies because that is what it's all about. Paulette, thank you so much for this amazing conversation. This has just been delicious. It has been delicious. I love it. I love, and I do, I love talking. So apparently you can tell that, but <laughs> yeah. you and me both. Stuff. Yeah. And we got to move with it too. So yay. Exactly. Yay. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. It was great to have you on my show. So now I'm here with you. So this absolutely, is, it's quite an honor. And oh, such thank a you pleasure. everybody for listening. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. And if you don't, if you're out and about and you want to just find those links, come back over to empathicmasteryshow.com to find the show notes and all of the information that Paulette has included will be in there. Okay, guys, until next time. Peace. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time. Hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.